you know, whenever people raise with me the subject of prophecies with regards to the end times, like when the world's going to end and the particular circumstances in which that might arise, I always refer them to Mark chapter 13, where the Lord himself says, even the Son of Man knows not the day or the hour, but instead only the Father knows. And of course, the whole idea is that if even the Son of Man doesn't even know when the world's going to end, then who are we to ask that particular question? Now that said, quite apart from matters of eschatology or the end times, another way to interpret this particular passage is to read it like it's basically saying to us that there are certain topics, certain subjects, certain thoughts or ideas that we are called to completely ignore because God is not calling us to entertain these things even in the slightest. And so the example that comes to mind, Bishop Robert Barron talks very famously about a certain difficult passage that you might find in the Old Testament. The most notable of which, perhaps, is 1 Samuel chapter 15. So in the aftermath of having conquered the Amalekites, this traditional foreign enemy of the Israelite people, King Saul was commanded by the Lord to issue this thing called the ban, which is basically this, this edict, this divine edict to kill every man, woman, and child, and on top of that, all the foreign livestock. You see, what's interesting is that in the context of the story, King Saul doesn't actually go through with the ban. So he kills most of the people, he kills most of the livestock, but he saves some foreign people, some foreign animals, even the king himself, King Agag, the king of the Amalekites, for his own particular purposes. As a result of which, the prophet Samuel shows up on the scene, he rebukes King Saul, and then he very famously hacks Agag to pieces. Now, obviously, this is a really difficult passage, especially for people reading this thing from a modern perspective, because the idea is, how can I reconcile this, this great act of violence uh, commanded by the Lord with this idea of an all-knowing, all-loving God, right? But the way to look at it, in the words of Bishop R. R. Barron, is, is to read it from a spiritual perspective. And so the whole idea here is that the Israelite people represents people who are striving to bring about God's particular purposes in the context of this world. And, and people like the Amalekites or other foreign enemies that you see in the Old Testament represent the opposing forces, forces of evil and wickedness who are trying to thwart the realization of God's divine purposes in the context of this world. And so from that perspective, the basic idea is essentially this. There are certain forms of evil that you're called to beat down right to the ground to not dilly-dally with these things, to not negotiate with these things, but again, to beat these things to the very ground, recognizing that they are intrinsically evil. So certain examples come to mind, right? Think about abortion, think about genocide, think about adultery even. And so with regards to that last example, adultery, just think about it like this. And again, this is kind of borrowing from the phraseology of Bishop Robert Barron. Imagine if there's a married man who says to his wife, look, honey, I will be faithful to you in good times and in bad, except on weekends, right? I mean, clearly there's something missing there. Or think about a celibate priest, right? If, if a priest says to his bishop, uh, look, I will be faithful to my vow of celibacy unless I go on vacation or unless I go to Barbados. Again, there's something kind of problematic there, right? There are certain evils that we're called to beat right to the ground to not negotiate with um, because they are intrinsically evil. But you see, we can even take it one step further, right? Because if you think about it, what's the nature of the spiritual battle when it comes to your ordinary everyday Joe kind of living on the street, right? It's probably not this moral dilemma in terms of like, should I commit adultery or not? Should I commit abortion or not? Or should I commit genocide or not? It's probably in contrast, usually something like this. The temptation to give into discouragement, the temptation to give into despair, the temptation to give into the lie that you're not actually acceptable in the eyes of the Lord and you're not actually intrinsically lovable. 
to illustrate the point, think about certain kind of women's magazines, for example, that you find in the grocery store. Um, not that I read these sorts of things, but um, I've seen them, obviously, because I go grocery shopping. And, and just based on the covers, it seems like a lot of these magazines uh, try to promote this idea that, well, look, do these certain things and you become more attractive to the male population. And even before I entered seminary, actually, I, I would always look at these covers and think to myself, um, is that really what people want? I mean, just to think it through, right? I mean, what if it was actually true that if you do these certain things that are being proposed in the magazine, you will actually become more attractive to a greater segment of the male population? Again, the question is, is that really what you want, right? Do you really want to be more attractive to a greater segment of the male population, or do you actually want to be seen and known and loved? To be truly seen as you are, to be truly known as you are, and to be loved, again, as you are. Because in the absence of that, in the absence of truly being seen and known by someone who supposedly loves you, well, quite frankly, that isn't love. At most, that is admiration. People admiring you for things that you do, which are actually intended to draw their attraction or draw their, their admiration. So I've mentioned many times before uh, the example of Matt Fratt, really notable Catholic speaker who speaks about a whole variety of different topics, including issues with regards to sexuality. And basically, he was recounting this experience that he had in the context of Eucharistic adoration. So the way he tells the story, he was adoring the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament when all of a sudden he was filled with gratitude. And he kind of expressed to the Lord in the context of prayer, thank you for my sins. Thank you for my selfishness. Thank you for my desire to look at porn. Thank you for my inclination towards anger. Thank you for my egotism and so on and so forth. And at first, he had trouble kind of understanding his experience because he's, the way he explains it, um, it seemed kind of heretical, but at the same time, it seemed sincere and it seemed honest. And the way he was finally able to reconcile his experience with his inclination towards orthodoxy is when he went to Mass. And in the context of that liturgy, he heard 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in the context of which St. Paul says very famously that he boasts in his weakness. And after hearing that, Matt kind of thought to himself, well, that must be what I meant, right? And what he was ultimately getting at was that we tend to put in so much energy and time to convince people of a certain kind of facade with regards to who we are, right? And then what happens, though, is that God kind of brings to our attention our weaknesses, our frailties, our sins. And our experience or our memory of these, these humiliating things, these humiliating aspects of our lives and our character, uh, poke holes in this facade until we realize in retrospect that in the words of Matt Fred, we were truly acceptable all along. And then what he says on top of that is that that is a much easier way to live. That is a much easier way to live. And you see, that's ultimately what we're getting at here, right? Because obviously for all of us to do this thing that we're talking about today, to uh, put in the time and the effort to learn to recognize and then firmly reject the wickedness and sinners of the devil in all its forms, that takes work. It takes work for sure, right? At the same time, what's the payoff? The payoff is huge, right? But the payoff in particular is we create the space in our hearts to receive God's truth, a truth which tells us ultimately that we are seen, we are known, and we are loved, and that we were acceptable all along. And again, my brothers and sisters, that is, quite frankly, a much easier way to live. And may God bless you all.